Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would get your Bibles, open up the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we will be getting into the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'll encourage you to continue to read through chapter 14, but I'm not sure that I'm going to get that far through uh, chapter 14. The point's going to be at the first part. If we can get a little beyond that, I'll let you know. I hope that what happens or what we're going to discuss today will give you a little bit of understanding behind what we, some of the things that we see uh, within the church today and kind of the explanation of what the scripture says about this. Now in this first chapter chapter 13 we all know first corinthians chapter 13 what do we call it it's the love chapter it's a chapter that actually defines what love is to us um and then one strange thing about when we get into chapter 14 you'll see that he says he, he'll narrow everything down in this first th- in, the, in that 13th chapter he'll narrow it down to three things faith hope and love and he says the greatest of these is love right now, when we get into chapter 14, we'll slow down a little bit when we get into uh, the first part of chapter 14. He says something a little bit unusual. He says, pursue love, but earnestly desire spiritual gifts. I'm on video today. I might upset some of my fellow Southern Baptist pastors if they watch this. But I've never been a traditionalist. Not a traditionalist tell people all the time i'm southern baptist one because i do believe theologically they have it closer two and probably the bigger reason is because it's one of the biggest mission machines in the in on the globe the southern baptist cooperative program the number of missionaries that go into the field are just absolutely enormous faith hope and love does not excuse the desire to be individuals who are capable while we are pursuing love of using and utilizing the tools that God gives us along the way to most effectively do this now anybody that you've known your entire lifetime you can look at their life and you can see how their life has has automatically with no force no structural damage nobody requiring to stand over them and beat them over a, a period of time you notice a transition in the individual you notice changes about them, little things that were little quirks that they had before that they don't quite have as many of, and they maybe a bad attitude. The bad attitude's going away. You see someone growing in their faith. It's absolutely visible when we see it. If faith, hope, and love were enough, then why didn't he just give us that one chapter? What he's saying in chapter 13 as we read through this and listen for it. Love applied accurately is an absolute. Faith in that love is absolute. Hope in that love is absolute. But you using spiritual gifts in order to accomplish what God has asked for us to accomplish, who's that up to? 
Does God come in, take over your body, and force you to do what it is that he wants you to do? Or does he allow you to choose? He allows you to choose. So somewhere along the way, everybody has a line. I will do anything that Jesus asked me to do. And I'm reminded of Peter when he actually told Jesus, I will die for you. And what did Jesus say? Oh, you'll die for me? I love the question mark at the end of it because it means something completely different in Greek. It's really smart, it's really smart Alec. You'll die for me? You're going you're gonna to deny me three times before the rooster crows. We are capable of being robots just doing what it is that God told us to do and accepting the outcome. But we also affect the quality of the outcome. Amen? You're going to sit through a much more enjoyable Sunday school class for, for a teacher who actually properly prepared for that Sunday school class. If one decides on Sunday night at 10 o'clock that they need to get ready, or on Saturday night at 10 o'clock, they need to get ready to teach Sunday school on Sunday morning, I'm pretty sure you're not going to have the best experience in Sunday school class. Because even though the faith, hope, and love are there, they have nothing attached to drive it. Faith, hope, and love is absolute. Amen? Those things were given to us. No part on an effort from our part was invested in that. Amen? Faith, hope, and love was given to us 100%. Not capable of acquiring it ourselves. Amen? But when he starts in 14, we're going to read through 13, but pay attention as we read through 13 as he describes what love is, and then at the end of this, he begins to roll this into from the absolutes to those things that are according to our choices. Verse 13. If I speak with the tongues of... Or chapter 13, sorry. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I deliver my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails it's perfect love never fails but if there are gifts of prophecy there will be done away if there are tongues they will cease if there is knowledge it will be done away for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes the partial will be done away when I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we see face to face. 
Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Pretty specific description of what love is. It builds those parameters. But when you caught it, love never fails. Is it a human attribute? No, you named me one human attribute that hasn't failed, and you can maybe convince me that that human attribute, but if it doesn't fail, it's perfect. And if it's perfect, it's from who? It's from God. So here's the emphasis. We live in a world today that still does this, but the church in Corinth was doing the exact same thing. They were taking the gifts that God would give people, and they were putting them before the, the, the one thing that we were actually supposed to be motivated by. In other words, tongues. I'm going to get so much. I'm going to get so many messages. The Bible speaks very clearly on what tongues is. Tongues of angels. That's the language you speak in your heart that nobody else hears. That's the one that the Holy Spirit translates for you. That's the one where you don't have to open your mouth. You ever hurt so bad inside that you wanted to pray, but you didn't know how to say it? And you get this sense of God up there going, I hear you. I hear you. And we're down there going, but I can't even put it into words. And he goes, yeah, but I hear you. I hear you. That's... That is glossolalia. That is the tongues of angels. There are only two other forms of tongues. There's the miracle of tongues. We're all aware of this as we read the Acts chapter 2. We realize by the description in that passage of Scripture that there was something way more miraculous than we see going on today happening. Because it says that the apostles spoke in their language and the people heard them in their language. That means if somebody was standing next to a Jew speaking Hebrew and they were proclaiming the gospel and there was someone who spoke Aramaic and didn't speak Hebrew, they were speaking Hebrew, but they were hearing Aramaic. It wasn't the miracle of a person's lips. It was God himself translating the gospel message from the lips of an apostle to the ears of the recipient. Last part of tongues. Tongues of a tribe, nation, or people. Had somebody come here not too long ago, it was a few years ago. After church, she came up to me and she said, Preacher, I want to know why you guys don't speak in tongues. And as lovingly and as gently as I could, I explained to her, because we all speak English. How many of you guys know edification is important? Meaning, if I'm going to stand up here and say something that you don't understand, how do you benefit? So here's the biblical definition. And the reason why the Apostle Paul said, anybody speaks in tongues, you must first have a translator and no more than two or three at a time. That's what he says, right? Here's why he said that. That region had so many languages that were spoken around it, and these people crossed each other all the time. 
The scenario would be that you would come to church at Highland in the morning, and there could be, be as many as four different languages seated in this church at once. So if I stand up here and I preach that message in English, what happens to the other three people, the other three languages? They edified? In order for them to be edified, what do I need? A translator! It's not translating gibberish, folks. That's not what this is. Because if you walk into a place and people think that the Holy Spirit getting a hold of you, making you speak a whole bunch of gibberish, flopping around in the floor, is glorifying to God, I got something else to tell you. We have made the gift greater than the motive. You know when you speak in tongues? When God thinks it's beneficial for you to speak in tongues. I told you I was going to get in trouble when I said this. whole bunch of my pastor friends, they say, oh no, all those gifts have ceased. They think it's done. I don't. I think the miracle of tongues still happens. I think that prophecy still happens. We're going to spend some time in a little bit talking about prophecy too because I'm, I might blow your wheels off with that one too. Not what you think it is. Probably. His entire point here is the gifts, he's prefacing this to chapter 14 because he wants us to understand that the gift never outgrows the motive. In other words, I send you to town, you got a car, do you choose to walk? Based on the responsibility that you've been given, you choose the easiest path, amen? Anytime God has us do anything as individuals, it's the exact same thing. He's the one that's sitting here saying, hey, I need you to do this. And we go, well, I'm not capable of doing this. He goes, well, you are now. See what I mean? Now it's up to me whether I walk through life and take what he says he has for me that's going to benefit everybody. It's completely entirely up to me. And there are many people who walk through the world do not accept any of those responsibilities And their impact on the lives around them is minimal. The emphasis shouldn't be on tongues. It should be on the Jesus who's being proclaimed through that tongue. Because that's the motive. Prophecy shouldn't be about how much somebody knows. It should be about a returning Jesus who's going to show compassion, mercy, and forgiveness to the person who trusts in him. And he's going to go show judgment and fiery eternal hell to the one who doesn't. And frankly, it sickens me to think that people are out there dying and we're standing up in the pews going, look at me! When the truth is, what should we be saying? Look at Jesus. He himself told us that if we raise the Son of Man up, he will draw men to himself. But we're out trying to create gimmicks to try to fool people into it. We back people in corners and try to talk them into becoming Christians. And I'll say it again. I say it a hundred times. You talk somebody into being a Christian, they're more lost than they were before you talked to them. Because unless the Father draws them, they ain't coming. I believe everybody gets that invitation. At some point in their life, everybody gets that opportunity. But us being people who don't take our eyes off 
of the, off of the target. The target's not for you to acquire as many gifts as you can. The, the goal is not for you to be as shiny as you can. The goal's not for the church to be as popular as it can. The goal's not for the church to have the best music that it can. We will do all of those things within our capabilities, but why? Because Jesus is worthy of it. Not because each of those things in and of themselves matter, but because Jesus gave these people a gift that they employ. And guess what happens as a result? Jesus is glorified. If a teacher's been given a gift to teach, guess what? Jesus is glorified. It's not about the teacher. It's not about us. Drawing attention to us is completely contrary to, to, to Christianity. Everything that we do should be pointing to Jesus Christ. Chapter 14. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy. He just said prophecy was a superior gift. Why don't we hear about all of the denominations around the world prophesying? Why is tongues the one that seems to have gotten the focus over the last 20 or 30 years being the one that's misrepresented in most of the Christian denominations in the United States? Because with prophecy... You can't be selfish. Because prophecy in and of itself, the definition of prophecy, an absolute truth shared under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's prophecy. Wait a minute, preacher. You mean to tell me that somebody prophesies they're not telling the future? I'll tell you the future. You want to hear me tell you the future? If you die without trusting in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you will spend an eternity in hell. See, I did that? Absolute truth under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's prophecy. When God sent his prophets a message and sent them to the town that he sent them to, what did he ask them to say when they got in the town? Exactly what he told them to. Right? Because anytime you prophesy, you're saying, Thus saith the Lord. Where's the attention? It's on the Lord. And why would he say, especially that you may prophesy, this is the most important one? I'm glad that you asked, and it's a very simple answer. Because this is the gift through which the gospel is proclaimed. You say, well, it can be pro proclaimed through tongues. It can. Not anything like prophesying. Because when you prophesy, you are not speaking any part of your own opinion. Prophecy is literally speaking an absolute truth about God, from God, who God is. It's an absolute. I love when people tell me, there's no such thing as absolutes. I'm like, is that an absolute? Because <laughs> if there's no such thing as absolutes, and that's an absolute, then there's absolutes. Opinions are opinions. Facts are facts. The truth is the truth. There's no way around it. 
I can walk out to say any person. I, I can go anywhere in the world, and I can tell a person, trust in Jesus Christ or you will spend in hell in eternity. Did I just tell them the truth? I did. Has it happened yet? I spoke the future. One thing you don't do, though, is you, put in, you don't put any definitive destinations to people. You notice I said, if you die and don't place your trust in Jesus Christ? Because what happens if you point somebody and say, you're going to hell? Is that a prophecy? No. Mm, that's judgment. It's above our pay grade. Why? Because there's no way for you to know that. God knows that, but there's no way for us to know that. You point to somebody and say, you're going to hell. Now I can point to somebody and say, hey, you continue to refuse Jesus Christ, and that's going to lead you to a very hot path. Because it's, these are your actions, these are the consequences. If I just look at somebody and say, oh, you're going to suffer consequences, that means that I am very aware of all of their actions from the beginning of their life to the end of it. And the truth is, God doesn't want us in the judgment business. We can't be who he wants us to be. Even, even if our prophesying is putting someone in a position where they are realizing something that is contrary to what they understood their entire lives, we don't gloat, we don't desire to see people hurt. That's not who we are. Remember, what, are, what is it that we're pursuing? Love. Love is the boat. The gift is the paddle. You see what I mean? You can do your best to send your, your boat down the river without paddles. That's entirely up to you. And believe me, there's a large majority of Christians who choose that way. But we are recipients of that love. God puts us in a boat and he goes, here's my love, it's all for you. Now I need you to go down the river and tell everybody about me. And he goes, now here are your oars. And we go, no thank you, we'll make it just with the current. Prophecy is the vehicle through which we deliver the gospel message of love. It's equipped with it. It's things we're taking along. If you don't have gentleness, you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. If you don't have gentleness, is it a help or a hindrance in proclaiming the gospel? What about compassion? Help or a hindrance? If you don't have compassion, it's a hindrance. Every one of these things God has taught us, and it took me a long time, folks. It was one of these shocking things to me because I was raised up Southern Baptist, and I mean traditional Southern Baptist. We're talking don't dance. It is a long time, but, but I appreciate the traditional Southern Baptist background because they're the ones who drove me to the scripture to find out exactly what it said. And uh, people weren't happy when they found out that I could dance in my underwear. In public. In public. So I've formed all of my scriptural, I should say all of my life uh, positions based on doctrine and not based on traditionalism. I'm not someone who will stand, stand here and tell you that you can't drink. I'll tell you, I'm someone who will discourage it. There's potential for it to go awry. It's a dangerous thing to mess with. Paul told Timothy, drink a little wine for the stomach's sake. The specific scripture says don't drink into drunkenness. Also tells us all things in moderation, right? So should I stand up here as a dogmatic Southern Baptist and tell you that God don't want you to drink? 
that puts me in a bad spot because that means somebody's expected me to say something that I know for a fact is not in there. Doctrine matters. The prophecy we speak matters. The gifts that we employ, the lines that we draw, the borders that we build around ourselves in life, all of these things matter. They have an impact on how the gospel is, is, is shared. They have an impact on the way the world hits us. It has an impact on everything around us. The young adult class this morning, we're talking about church and what is it? And the first Sunday we talked about Big C Church, Little C Church. That Big C Church, all denominations that believe in Jesus Christ are part of the Big C Church. Little C Church is the individual local church, the one that we see more of in the scripture. And the one core aspect to a church, what do you think it is to keep it together? It's a relationship. But what kind of things do you need to strengthen relationships? Do you need faith in a relationship? Do you need hope in a relationship? Do you need love in a relationship? Because the truth is, you stick around long enough, I'm going to do something to make you mad. I promise. I, I honestly believe over the last 22 years, there's not been one person in this church that at some point I haven't made mad. I will. I'll make a mistake. I will inadvertently potentially hurt you. Inadvertently. I wouldn't mean to under no circumstances. But I've hurt people unintentionally before. Does that help or hurt a church? Hurts. prophecy it keeps it real for us too because if i speak it to you i'm reminding it to myself and the passage of scripture we went over this morning is the gospel according to john chapter 13 and it's quite simple it was where jesus just before he was leaving told all of his apostles this is how they will know that you are one of mine by the love that you show to one another and what kind of love is that that's the love where he says, the same love that I showed you, you show one another. The same love Jesus showed us, we are to show one another. Since what we are headed for, what we're reaching for, is that faith, hope, and love is the fundamental foundation. All of the gifts that, God's give, that God gives us gives us the ability to strengthen relationships, build relationships, to be open to the concept of even involving ourselves in another individual's life. If that means dropping a message when they miss. Showing up at the hospital to pray with them before they go into to surgeries. When COVID hits and you can't go in to pray for people before surgeries, to call them on the phone and pray with them over the speaker. Gets a little weird over COVID. But it doesn't matter how weird it gets as long as the motivation doesn't stop. Love. How many of you faced something deep and dark the last two years of your life? And how many of you had somebody in your life who come along and, and, sh and shone a little light on it? Helped. Pulled you out encouraged you that's what a church is supposed to be to each other when you need it to get the kick in the back pocket i need it too but that's what a relationship is 
And if I love you with the same type of love that Jesus loved me, that means that there's nothing you can do to make me turn away from that. We may be imperfect humans, but that's the model he put out to us when he said for us to love one another with the same kind of love that he loved us, that means that he commanded we love one another with agape, unconditional love. And as I said downstairs, you do something to hurt me, you can hurt me, and I mean cut me deep. You leave, I never talk to you again, you call me one day, ask me for a favor, I'll do it. Me and God's gonna talk about it. But I'll do it. Why? Because I'm not allowed to love or not love based on my emotional state. My love, the hope that I have the ability to give people in Christ, the faith that is there, we can't do that for one another if we aren't helping keep, keep one another afloat. I need that encouragement. I need that accountability. You need that encouragement and you need that accountability. My general rule is you miss two Sundays in a row, you get a message from me. Unless I know what's going on in life and you have a reason that we knew you was going to be out for several weeks, Bob's going to be out for a while. I won't call him every other week. Say, Bob, where are you at? I'm not going to do that because I know he's not, he's going to be, he's not going to be back till April, roughly. But if you miss two Sundays, I don't know what you're, I'm going to call you. Why? Because it's a policy. I can increase Highland's attendance by doing that. Amen? That's not it. Whether it increases Highland's capacity or not, we decide just how deeply we're going to love each other. So the question is, when somebody's missing, do you genuinely wonder where they're at? Not critically wonder, genuinely wonder. Especially if you know there are things going on on the sides of their lives when they're missing are you concerned about them? And for those of you that have felt that, where do you think that came from? Christ puts us on common ground. But whether we build in a relationship or not is whether we're intentional or not. You know what one of the most scary times for a pastor is? when the church first starts growing again. You know why? It's growing. I mean, last week we had, it was over 50 last week. Not looking bad today. But what's the danger with a church that grows quickly? Well, some people haven't been here so they don't know how we do things. That potentially could cause some confusion potential problems as people find out like church policies and just because they don't understand the way that it was before you have the potential of creating a ton of issues by not being intentional intentionality means that if I have a problem with you I'm not going to carry it with me for five years fret over it and allow it to destroy my emotional state when it becomes something that boils up I'm not going to leave any questions hanging out there because that just leaves things that just leaves things in not such a good spot. It's at work the other night. Two bosses. One technically, but both have authority over me. One of them tells me to do something. 
doing it. An hour later, the other one comes by and tells me I'm doing it wrong. Now, young people might sit there, be scared and timid inside, apologetic, potentially want to quit. But if I don't want to leave anything floating out there, and I don't want any animosity towards my bosses, and I don't want any of my bosses to have any animosity towards me, you know what's best to do? Not get scared, not try to explain, not try to... But just to say, hey, that guy over there told me to do it this way. I'll do it however you want me to. But you two need to go over there and figure out how you want it done. You can come back and tell me and I'll do it. Not smart alecky. I don't want them to I don't want them to think there's confusion on my part. I don't want them to think that I'm being uh, insubordinate. I don't want them to think that I'm not doing my job if they come back and I didn't understand it. So what do you do? Take every question off the table that you can. I just need to know exactly what you want me to do, and I am happy to do it. In every one of our lives, we're given opportunities to respond. And our responses, they're supposed to be generating interest in Jesus. Our every breath, our lives are supposed to be generating interest in Jesus. Kind of surprised it took this long, but everybody at work knows I'm a preacher now. Two weeks. Just without me telling a soul. Two weeks. They all know I'm a preacher now. So now some of them won't sit me at lunch anymore. They don't say much to me anymore. A couple of them are mad at me because they have bad mouths. And I never told them I was a preacher, so they've just been cussing for two weeks. Then they find out I'm a preacher. It's like... And I try to tell everybody, you know what, I... I I intentionally don't tell people I'm a preacher because I want you to be you. If you're going to change, change for Jesus. Don't change for me. I don't want people treating me like I'm God. And they, it seems like they do. Man, you walk with people drinking, they're hiding their beers, or they're sitting on their, their joints, or they're doing weird things. One guy ate it, the whole thing. I was like, dude, that just cost you five bucks. <laughs> Lit joint right in his mouth, shoved it in, walked up to him. You know what you call it? Right in his mouth. It just cost you five bucks. <laughs> we have to be, we have to be individuals who are aware that Jesus put us here for a reason. And if you're here, he has a reason for you. But through our lives, we've spent every day of our lives being knocked around by Satan. And he's used all kinds of things to do it. And everything that, everything that he is he's motivated for is to knock you off of that track to keep you, to, to make you look away from Jesus. To look away from everything that, that Jesus has done for us. The gifts that God has given us are not just gifts that he's given me that are beneficial to you, but they're also gifts that he's given you that are beneficial to me. How many of you guys think preachers are Superman? I'd rip my shirt off, but you'd all be very disappointed. Because we're not Superman. I depend on you as much as you depend on me. And it's great once in a while to get that to get that that prayer warrior. You know who I'm talking about? Those individuals who that's just the gift that God gave them. I mean, you wake up, you're having a bad day and out of the blue all of a sudden you get a text message that says, "Hey brother, I don't know what you're going through today, but uh the Lord's got me praying for you and Jesus has got this." And it's kind of like Woo! Those types of prayer wars are, are important people. 
because they have the ability to encourage somebody to, to, to get up when they've fallen down, to move forward when they're scared to, to face fear, knowing that they're not facing it alone, that they have a family behind them, that you're going to make mistakes. And as much as you're willing to repent of the mistakes you make, we're willing to love you and forgive you for them. Because all of us are capable. God's not here to force anybody to do anything. You want your kids to love you because they want to or because they have to? Jesus just wants us to love him. A lot of responsibility comes with that. But it's temporary responsibility. Because one day we're all going to sit around that table and I am so interested in seeing that table. Because here's my deal. If I take all of the information that I have, the New Jerusalem is 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high. Every believer who has ever trusted in Jesus, regardless of what the Jehovah's Witnesses say, has access to the New Jerusalem. How big is that dinner table going to be? Because we'll all do one more Lord's Supper when it's all over. And it'll be all of us. And the question is why? And it's a simple answer. It's because we're all into this we're all in this together. We're all in it together. So you can choose to do it on your own. Add one or two people to the mix. But if you want to do it the way Jesus wants you to do it, you're gonna be a part of his church. Because if you read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, used to be on the front of our bulletins. The whole purpose for us coming together is for us to continue to encourage one another as the day draws nearer. We're supposed to be a family. We're supposed to be forgiving because we're going to disappoint one another. But we're also supposed to be quick to say, I'm sorry. And I don't care what anybody says. We should hear, I love you, a whole lot more around a church. I know people are wigged out about that. I even told a guy who was an unrepentant homosexual one time I loved him. The person next to me goes, ew. Startled myself for a second till it settled in. Jesus was like, no, you got it right. You got it right. That's what love is you're here today and you've already placed your trust in jesus christ your personal lord and savior haven't followed through in believers baptism which is the first and greatest act of obedience and i want to encourage you that uh if you don't uh, if you have never uh been baptized just come up and tell me that you've trusted in jesus you've just never been baptized and that you want to follow through with that um and and i will do everything that i can to make sure that we get that accommodated as quickly as possible um but also believer we already choose to love the people in our lives that we choose to love. And it's really not that hard for you to be able to expand that circle. I realize that just expanding that circle without somebody proving themselves is scary and even potentially dangerous. You stick around for a little while. You'll come to know the ones, the ones that you know the Lord has given that gift, the one that's going to encourage you, the one that's going to help you along the path as you walk it in life. 
But as much as we may always need help, we can never forget that we're also someone else's. If you're here today and you're, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, it's not that this trip up here will save you. I'm not saying that. The Bible does ask us to c confess it before men. The point is, it's kind of what this is all about. It's the gospel. If you're not willing to stand before a crowd of people who have stood in this place before themselves and say, I trust in Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, then what are the chances that you're willing to do it out there? You see, when you walk forward and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus, it lets everybody else in this place, which is probably almost everybody, if not everybody, it gives them an opportunity to see that you're making a decision that they have made before as well. And they know the difficulties that are coming for you. They know what type of struggles you're going to have. And when they see you come forward, they also know that you're going to be bombarded at least for a time. Me and Diana was talking about Laura's family being sick. Laura just recently stepped into the nursery position here at the church. And we had the conversation that, that, that when you step forward and you decide to become more committed, Satan's standing there with a ball bat going, oh yeah, let's see. And he just starts bombarding you. And he does that to all of us at points in our lives. But here's the deal, and I've encouraged a lot of people by saying this, Satan is not omnipresent. He's also not omniscient. He can't be everywhere at the same time. And he don't know everything. He has a limited number of demons on this planet. If he comes to you and he attacks you, and you resist him in the name of Jesus, how long is he going to stick around? You think he would rather continue to torment somebody that he can't get to than go find someone else that he can? That old statement, if he's messing with me, he's leaving someone else alone? There's truth to that. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. I, I know, I know to say this almost feels weird, but it's that simple. Jesus came to earth, was born a baby of a virgin, lived at the age of 33 and a half years old, never sinned once. When he was hung on Calvary, he took the sins of the entire world upon his back and he offered a trade. I'll take your sin and I'll give you my perfection. Then he died. He took the sins of those who trust in him to Hades and he shook them off where they deserve to be. So our sins have been dealt with. Then he rose from the grave, beat the one thing that we as human beings have always feared death. And he beat it with a stick. It's as simple as saying that I believe Jesus is who he says he is. I believe that Jesus did what it is that he said that he did, and I believe that it accomplished what he said that it accomplished. You have confidence at that point. To stand in the holiest of holies. Before God himself, he will hear your petitions. 
this relationship. It's all about gifts. But it's only about you and only about me and the amount of time that it takes for us to get this gift, the gift of salvation. And as much as Jesus still makes it about us, to us, is it supposed to be about us? It's supposed to be about everyone else. Being the conduit, being more capable by being who it is that Jesus asked us to be. That starts with the relationship. Come tell me you want to be saved. I can't save you. But I will take whatever time necessary to explain to you the one who can. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, 
Or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Barron. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.